Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Turing's Triple Helix, the podcast channel for the Scottish AI Alliance. I'm Steph Wright, and I'm the head of the Scottish AI Alliance. With me today, I have two fantastic guests to chat about the use of AI in the gaming industry. I have Matthew Jack, CEO and lead architect of Kythera AI, and Gregor Hoffer, CEO and co-founder of Speech Graphics, both Edinburgh-based companies. Welcome both. Hi. Hello. Pleased to be here. Fantastic to have you guys here. So let's start with some introductions. Uh, can you please tell me a bit more about yourselves and your companies and maybe give us a wee overview about the gaming industry? Uh, let's start with you, Matthew. Sure. So, yeah, my name is Matthew Jack. Um, I'm the founder of Kythera AI. I'm now CEO and lead architect there. So I still have a hand in the technical side. Um, I started as an AI programmer at Crytek about oh, 15 years ago now, I think. Um, and that Crytek are a well-known developer of game engines and uh, some very famous games, such as uh, Far Cry and Crisis. Um, and after I'd been working with them for a few years, I went into consulting on video game AI and then I moved to focusing on building AI tools to help other people put AI into their game and improve the AI in games. And so that's when I really founded the company and um, been focused on that since 2013 now. In a nutshell, our company brings intelligent life to virtual worlds in games and beyond. Um, so that's bringing uh intelligent characters and creatures to video games um and also some some wider industries that sounds great i'm curious what what does kythera mean what, uh, why that name <laughs> um so it originally refers to the anti kythera mechanism which was a very early mechanical computer aha uh -huh. and am i just pronouncing it entirely wrong then is it kythera uh, no, no, you're getting it right. Right, Ky uh, we pronounce it Kythera, but um, opinions differ. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you very much, and welcome, Matthew. Uh, over to you, Gregor. Yeah, hi. Uh, great to be here. So my name is uh, Gregor Hoffer. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Speech Graphics. Uh, we are uh, originally a University of Edinburgh spin-out. So I came to Edinburgh to do my PhD in machine learning at the School of Informatics and then spun out the company in 2010 together with my co-founder, Michael. We met there as PhD students and we worked on technology that analyzes speech and then produces the matching facial expressions uh, on a digital character. Uh, and yeah, so we've been, we've been going on uh, for a while. We started out as a service company, really helping uh, different animation studios, uh, film companies, TV companies, game studios to uh, basically build out the facial animation pipeline and then uh, you know using our technology in-house to basically make it more efficient and uh, more cost effective to animate characters so if you think about like a movie has you know it's like two hours long right but uh, a video game is 50 60 100 even some of them are like a few hundred hours long and so there's a lot more content that needs to be produced for these games and there's a lot more dialogue that needs to be animated. So there's a lot of need for automated solutions. And so previously, you know, how this was done was 
a lot of times there was a use they use technology like motion capturing which you know is still used a lot but that is a very expensive technology you can't doesn't really scale very well to a lot of dialogue or they use you know hand animation but if you have a game that's you know hundreds of hours long you need new technology that basically automates a lot of the content production so our technology really comes in because it basically you can give it you know thousands of lines of recorded audio and it gives you thousands of animation files out in a, you know in a very short amount of time and now our, our software is used by you know most of the big AAA companies in the world so uh, companies like electronic arts activision blizzard microsoft sony they all use our technology to animate characters in games so when you see a character talking in games such as the last of us 2 or you know fallen order um gears of war call of duty that's more often than not done using our technology so that's, that's uh, great. <laughs> yeah so that's where <laughs> that's where we're at right now um but you know i actually like you wanted to know, know a little bit more about the game industry so one interesting aspect of it is just the so as I described, we, we make technology that actually is used by the game industry, but we are, we are not actually make the games, but we, you know, we, we are supplier of technology and there's, you know, there's quite a lot of different companies, obviously Matthews companies, you know, they do something entirely different than us, but they are very much, you know, also a supplier to the game industry. But there's companies like uh, Unity and uh, Epic Games who make, who make the Unreal Engine that again is used by many different companies to actually make the games. and. So there is it as a wide industry, you know, that of suppliers, not just the, the creative part of the industry. That's brilliant. And, and how does that fit in Scotland, actually? Because obviously Scotland has quite a gaming industry heritage. Uh, so is there a similar, you know, kind of prominence of these, you know, tech suppliers to the gaming industry in Scotland as well? Yeah, that's interesting. There's actually quite a few companies here um, or companies that have their origins here. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know why that is. I mean, you know, for us, it's really we, we, we're here because of the university, to be honest. Um, you know, we there is there's people that you can hire here as well that have experience in games, which is a which is a good, good thing. You know, we have people for, and there's good universities here for people that want to work in games. So there is there's a there's an ecosystem here that that uh, enables that. Hmm. I think for my part, I think that uh, um, the foundation the really strong kind of uh games foundation in the past um and and continuing obviously from dundee and so on um uh i think that's a really great thing to build on there's you know people out there who've got you know decades of experience building games um also i think we find it helpful that just uh, edinburgh for instance is just a lovely city to 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 live and work in um, becomes quite easy to attract people there. Excellent. Thank you very much. And it's all because of lemmings, right? Lemmings started it all. <laughs> yeah, for one thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So let's let's kind of talk a bit about AI, uh, if you don't mind. We, we are the AI Alliance <laughs> and this is all about AI. So, so uh, AI has a wide range of definitions. What does AI mean to you? Uh, so let's go to yeah, Gregor first. Well, well, actually, if I can oh. if I can bounce off a little bit what Gregor was saying, so he was talking about um, uh, the animation of characters, um, and so in particular, we um, on my side we deal with not how characters look or sound, which is more his area, 
um, we deal with how they behave, how they think and how they react. Um, so that can be, you know, how characters move around, um, how they react to things, um, how they understand the environment around them. So, yeah, that can be applied to games and wider markets like TV, film, simulation. That AI is, you know, one of those specialisms that Gregor was talking about. Where, where would you take it from there? Sorry, Gregor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think for me, you know, our obviously our technology is based on machine learning, which is, a, you know, it comes from AI. You know, if you look at like classic, you know, for me, classic AI or like AI itself, it's like you basically have machines exhibit behavior that is that is intelligent. I mean, it doesn't mean that the machine necessarily knows what it's doing, right? So that's different from consciousness. Because a lot of times people talk about like, well, is it actually intelligent? Well, as long as it exhibits behavior that is intelligent, then that is AI, right? And so obviously for 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 us, that is, you know, we for for us it's it's that um the character looks like it's actually forming the words that you see that you that you're hearing right it actually it behaves in a way that is believable so you know we analyze things like you know not just the different shapes that need to be made to make a particular sound but we also look at things like the, the valence like is it positive is it negative we look at things like um uh, you know the intensity or the um the prosody in in the speech and all of that informs actually what the muscles in the face need to do to produce that sound and how that face is actually configured to actually look like it's producing that sound. So the eyebrows are part of that, the eyes are part of that, the actual head motion is part of that. And actually our software produces all of that. And that is really, you know, it, it, it looks like that character is exhibiting, you know, intelligent or lifelike behavior. And so that really, you know, when it, particularly when it comes to what we're doing as a company, that's that's where it is, where I see AI as, you know, as, a, as, a, as, as, as what it is. But, you know, if you want to like zoom out a little bit, it is really that like exhibiting intelligent behavior. That's great. I mean, um, you guys have obviously kind of touched really on on the next question, you know, which is around, you know, how you currently use AI in the work that you do. Gregor, you kind of explained a bit about what the AI does, but but uh, it'd be great to find out a bit like how it does that, you know, and um, without giving away your trade secrets, of course. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> That's fine. Well, we basically uh, produce a mapping from an audio space to muscle space, right? Um, and that mapping is produced using machine learning. So we, we we train our system on a lot of speech, and then it learns how the muscles in the face need to be configured to produce that speech. And that's really is this, you know, it's, it's a lot, you know, and this is not just one model, there's multiple models that are involved in this in, in various configurations. Um, and so that, you know, that uses, you know, cutting edge, machine learning it uses a lot of data um you know to to produce those results and we have a team in-house you know you know i think there are now 10 people that are basically just probably got that right um uh 10 10 people that are just basically working on that they don't work on anything else uh they, they, they just do machine learning great uh over to you matthew tell us a bit more about the use of ai in kythera what what is it that you the ai does for you you know and and how Sure. So I guess, first of all, like the, the problem that we're trying to solve is um, so we've got fantastic game engines now that mean that even small teams can create sort of 
huge and visually very rich worlds. Um, but generally, over and over again in my time in the industry, I've seen people creating virtual light, virtual worlds, which don't really have any compelling life in them. They can feel uh, quite dead and empty. And that includes coming out from, you know, big budget AAA games, uh, top studios. Uh, and you see the same kind of problem in some of the emerging sort of metaverse platforms, for instance. Um, uh, great tech, but when you take a look, there's very few people actually there. There's there's very little going on. Um, and it's difficult because there's actually a really big technical and design challenge around creating smart, interactive characters that people can engage with. Um, and, you know, you might have fantastic graphics or, you know, facial animation, as, as, as Gregor provides, um, and, 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 and dialogue and so on. But that tends to, you know, if that's all that you've got, then they still can't really engage. You know, it's just like an animation which will play from time to time. Um, we try to provide tools to allow you to demonstrate common sense and convincing behavior. And until you've really got into it, you tend to think, well, common sense is easy, right? You know, something like, okay, it's, you know, it's raining, I'm going to put up my umbrella. But actually, common sense is the hardest thing. <laughs> like it's an active research problem. Studios either put in massive amounts of time and expert resource to try and build up that behavior or they don't bring in external tools, external help to help them do it. And so, so that's what we provide, which helps, helps them provide, uh, create games which are more engaging, more fun, um, and you know, deliver on time and on budget, that kind of thing. And so you know, we're providing tools which people can then integrate with their games. In terms of then what it really looks like, um, for us, it's uh, something like robotics, uh, but in a virtual environment. So uh, the characters or the creatures, they need to be able to understand their environment. They need to be able to move around in it freely. They need to be able to interact with things. And we provide tools for that navigation. Where can I move? How do I move there? How do I cope with obstacles? Analyzing the environment, like can I jump or climb over this object? Where might I be able to hide? And things like uh, perception of threats around you, um, how how a how a group works together or how they move together, um, and all the sort of underlying decision making architectures of how you then take all of that input, um, all of that information around about the world around you, and decide you know what you should be doing right now. And there's an interesting contrast here with some of the um, machine learning approaches. Um, which you know are coming in in this area of games, but um, you need strong designer control. In games, you don't want AI that simply maybe does the best thing or makes it up as it goes along. Designers in games generally have an idea of what they want the AI to do, how they want characters and creatures to act. And so they need to be able to impose clear direction and control, even while the AI keeps being independent. I, I, Matthew, I think that's big big part of it and i think that's a big 
difference that I found as well, like talking, you know, the, when you talk to other people, like how AI works, they're like, oh, it's completely automated. They just want it to automate, right? There's no, but what we work, we work with these creatives, right? Like they, it's creative yeah. that we give these yeah. tools to, and they need, they want control. Yeah. So you can, you know, when you're working with like an indie studio, and I think, you know, this is, this is one of the exciting things of what, you know, maybe coming up in the future. Um, indie studios might be quite interested and excited about having AI that just figures out what it should be doing yeah. and just does fun stuff. But if you're talking to a bigger studio and bigger budgets, then it's very important that if the AI does something that they think is wrong, <laughs> they need to be able to go and adjust it or, or to debug it. You know, that's, for instance, explainability in AI is another thing which is a really big uh, research problem right now. Um, but yeah, in games, it's absolutely essential that you know you need to know well, why did you do that and how can I make you do something different next time. Well, and you just you need to provide the tools to to have to control. I mean, we have you know our, all our stuff can be overridden. Like if an artist wants to do it totally different, they can just they can turn knobs, they can change it, they can do it. I was, I mean, our software will do the best it can do, and a lot of times that's absolutely good enough. But if an artist wants to go in there and change it all, it's absolutely possible. And we need to be, we need, as was one of the things we found out early on is that even though they might not always change it, but they actually just want to know that they can change it as well. That's a huge part of it. It's just be, having that control and that you know that you can change it, right? That's, yeah. that's a huge part of it, right? But if you just have this black box and it just, you know, input output and you have no idea what it's done and why and how and you know then that makes it a lot more difficult uh in that industry at least to uh to to find customers yeah, yeah i think that touches on you know a much wider conversation in ai in general the, the control problem isn't it that's what they're calling it anyway yeah. but uh but what i'm quite interested in matthew is how does your game engine do its thing like you know Greg Gregor was explaining that it's mapping speech patterns to muscle patterns you know so w what is how does Kythera's engine work um if you don't mind <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> so um yeah so our AI engine um works by let's say analyzing the environment as a starting point um so you know obviously the whole environment is there you know sitting in the computer's memory but it's not necessarily in a way that AI can readily interact with. Um, so um, we will basically stream in all of the, uh, bring in all of the, the data about the world around us and process it um, into a form which AI can more readily interact with. Um, and, you know, we'll do that both kind of at design time when designers are building it up but also dynamically. So, you know, if if a building collapses or a, a new door is created, then we need to be able to refresh the data, you know, efficiently and, you know, straight away. Um, so we do that with things like, uh, first of all, you know, where can you where can you move around, both in terms of sort of on the ground or if you're flying, uh, flying around in the space. Um, but then also we do a lot of feature analysis. So um, is this an object that I could climb up onto or jump down from? Um, which traditionally, um, games designers have had to annotate manually, um, which can be really time consuming, you know, and it's not necessarily consistent. Um, lots of problems around that. So we do that 
kind of thing automatically. Yeah, otherwise, a lot of it comes down to providing tools to allow designers to describe at a high level what they, what they want the AI to do. Because, for instance, if there's a specific thing that they want the AI to do, you don't generally want them to have to go right down to that low level and say, OK, forget everything, stop everything, do this one thing and then, you know, carry on. You want them to be able to describe in a very high level way, like, you know, I want you to um, interact freely, but stay in this area or, you know, I want you to follow this path. But as you're doing it, you can interact with things as you go. Um, so providing that sort of high level interpretation. So AI can be smart, but still kind of does what the what the designers are looking for. Great. Fantastic. I guess, you know, hearing you guys explain, you know, how, how your you know, your products work, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to I can probably guess the answer to the next question is, but like, why do you use AI in particular and not any other solution? What does AI give you that other tech can't? Um, over to Gregor. Yeah, um, <laughs> so well, we use machine learning. Um, there is other systems out there that use different kinds of technologies, um, much more rule-based systems. Um, you know, in the end, you got those are very hard, very difficult to tune. Um, it's not straightforward to you know adapt a system that has a lot of hard-coded rules. To new inputs and really when you look at something like the type of speech we're dealing with it's very varied right so we have um speech that is you know sort of as we are talking now it's normal dialogue but there's a lot of yelling grunting laughing whispering a lot of different ways of actually speaking and to actually write rules for all of those different types of speech we're very very difficult uh not straightforward and I'd, i I'm not even sure if it's possible, but if you have data and you can actually have that type of data and you can adapt the system to different ways of speaking, I, that is a very powerful thing. And, you know, that's where we see a lot of the power from machine learning, actually. To, uh, and we see that see that in the in the in the outputs and we, you see that also in the quality of, of our output. It's just compared to other systems, our system is, 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 is a lot more robust and a lot, you know, it's a lot more high fidelity. That's brilliant. Thank you. I imagine Matthew's answer might be quite similar. But over to Matthew. So I would say that um, some developers do try to build, you know, ambitious games without using AI tools. And there are different ways that they can sort of work around that. So one is that they just come up with games which don't have like AI or characters. <laughs> right. So that's one way you can just write your own programming code. Um, to do the kind of things that you're looking for. But this gets complex really fast because, you know, AI is complex. Um, trying to show common sense behavior is complex. Um, and, you know, if you're actually aiming high, then you just end up writing AI tools. <laughs> so <laughs> make more sense to just bring them in early. Another way is just really complex scripting, what we call scripting. So that's basically where a game designer um, not not generally a programmer, will describe exactly what they want characters to do stage by stage. Uh, so often that can be done in visual languages now rather than actually writing computer code. So it might be something like, OK, character approaches here and then wait and see if A or B happens. 
And then if B happens, then go and do this. So you sort of describe this branching narrative and that can end up with a really high quality experience, but only in a very narrow way, right? So if I want to go and do C, then the characters don't know what to do, <laughs> right? So the whole experience breaks apart. So, you know, there's different ways that you can work around it, but, you know, they have limitations. And, and so, for instance, you know, if you want to, more and more games these days actually generate their game environments or their levels on the fly. You know, you get a unique level that you go and play. And so anything that you've built in advance for that isn't going to work. Um, or more and more players actually build their own content. You, you know, you change a level or you build a new level that other players can can experience. And, you know, that's also, say, central to the metaverse experiences that are coming out. You know, they depend on users building these new environments. Um, you know, we need to be able to adapt to whatever whatever is created automatically. For all those reasons, really, you need to bring in AI techniques and tools like we provide to be able to produce games rapidly and to be adaptable to all the things which games are trying to do these days. Fantastic. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, well, let's let's talk a bit about Scotland's AI strategy. I mean, um, the, the kind of three key values aligned with our strategy is trustworthy, ethical and inclusive. Um, how important do you think these are when developing and using AI? And I don't know if you had any particular examples of, you know, how your work aligns with one of these values. Uh, over to Gregor. Yeah, yeah, no, I absolutely. Those are obviously very, very important pillars to you know all all kinds of work, and you know, including AI. Uh, you know, for us as a company, you know, we 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 do work on projects that very much align. Not all of our project, but quite a few actually align with those with with those values. And we, you know, I want to highlight uh, one in particular. So we work, um, you know, out. So obviously, our technology has. It's mostly used in video games, but it has wide applications outside. Like whenever actually you, you want to animate a, a character, you can use our technology and, you know, it's used beyond just video games. And uh, we do have projects where, you know, particularly now with the conversations around the metaverse, uh, we are where, where uh, companies or, or, you know, groups that are maybe less represented in the world want to have some sort of presence as a digital entity. And so we we've been working with some some companies to basically bring uh, sort of underrepresented languages to life. And uh, so we've worked, for example, with um, Ojibwe, which is a Native American uh, language in the Pacific Northwest uh, that has very few speakers left. And we worked with a company called Culture Foundry. Uh, where they basically created avatars that from certain people in that tribe and then and then used our technology to animate those characters to tell stories about the tribe and really to you know sort of get collect also data from those last remaining speakers and to make sure that there's a history that that, that is that is that is there that people can you know that it's that it stays with us and uh, actually we have now another project with another tribe coming up as well, uh, more in the south of, of America, where there's, where there's this very similar project going on. And that is something that generally our technology is actually very good because we do use this machine learning. We can actually expand it to languages that we haven't necessarily trained on because we've trained on so many different languages. We can actually understand more about like how 
the articulatory space generally is what people can actually articulate. And so we can actually start animating things that there's actually very little data for. That's great. Thanks very much. How about you, Matthew? So, yeah, there's, I think there's quite a bit to say. I mean, I guess referring to, to, to what Gregor was describing. So in the context of real world applications, you know, these pillars are really essential, I think, because something like, you know, healthcare um, can affect people's lives really directly. Right. Or, or, you know, applying AI to, say, criminal justice system. Um, but in games, it's less direct right now, but it affects people the same. So as Gregor was describing about, you know, the different languages and trying to represent those, which is quite it can be quite a challenge. Um, if the characters in games are diverse, if players see characters who look and act like them, then players will feel more at home. Um, and conversely, if they don't, they're going to kind of feel excluded. And ultimately, you know, games are partly about, um, you know, escaping from the real world and having a safe space. People people really value that. In terms of that safe space, so our, our algorithms can't dictate, you know, what exactly characters do. Our tools can't, you know, don't dictate that. It's how those tools are used by the, by the games companies involved. Um, but they enable designers to provide that experience. So for instance, actually one, one thing I didn't mention, one of the other ways that um, uh, games companies try to do without AI is by depending on just multiplayer experiences. So, you know, you can depend on just those other players to show up and, and, and make, you know, help make the entertainment, but you can't control how those other players are gonna act. Sometimes, some games, some players, they're not necessarily going to be very inclusive, might have narrow minded views. Um, and so that's not necessarily welcoming. And one way that you can provide a sort of consistent, supportive experience is by having um, AI characters that have been designed to ensure that, which, you know, allows people to build skills and confidence and also, you know, provide this safe space. I think these kind of tools can be, you know, they're never going to be the whole solution, but they can be a little part of it. I would say finally, just in providing these kind of tools, we really want to democratize AI, make these kind of results available for even, you know, for much smaller teams rather than just AAA companies. Um, and that's allows them to create sort of unique games, which blockbusters would never produce, and gives minorities more of a chance for exposure and representation um, to create some, you know, really diverse indie games. Um, so if somebody wants to create an experience um, about perhaps, uh, you know, a game saying about what, you know, what's it like to, uh, to be maybe a trans person, you know, that's something which by providing these kind of tools, we can enable even small, small studios, small groups to do. And it's, it's wonderful seeing kind of some of the wacky, wacky ideas that come out there. I remember a, a colleague of mine from years back, with decades of experience in the Japanese uh, games industry. He wanted to build a game about depression. And he said, you know, nobody will ever fund me to build a game about depression. Uh, that's probably been done by now, actually, <laughs> I expect. But providing these tools does enable, you know, uh, more and more of these diverse views and, and ideas to be to be represented in, in games, 
and help people understand other people's points of view. Matthew, I think you touched on something really interesting, actually, the training part. You know, that actually game technology enables training, like immersive training, right? I mean, that's something that, yeah, yeah it's really, it's really important, right? Because in this context, it does provide this a way of interacting and getting a presence of something that you might, with, with, you might not be familiar with or something that can challenge you as well. But it is in a space where you're not necessarily, you know, where, where you're safe, right? Where you don't, where you can express certain things and, you know, you're not going to get, you, you, you will get feedback, but it's, it's not going to hurt somebody right away, right? You, you can yeah. challenge and you can see what, what works and what doesn't work. And I think that's really, really important. And so game technology has actually a huge part to play in that. And, you know, that's something that we see a lot as well. Like uh, we see a lot of uh, companies approaching us to see if they can have avatars as part of their training strategies, or even for HR, where you have an avatar that represents somebody, if you really want to, as a first interview, you know, really want to make it very equal, you basically have an avatar there and that everybody looks the same, everybody sounds the same. And you basically just interacting with this avatar and it basically takes everything else away from that experience, which then makes that supposedly a more fairer experience. Anyway, there's a lot of different ways uh, game technology can be applied to that. Um, and, you know, that essentially, it's, you know, those are usually 3D experiences, you know, they just don't necessarily have a game element to them. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, coupled with VR technology, that that's like a big avenue for VR technology, isn't it? Like uh, in, in terms of training and also creating kind of really um, uh, kind of experiences where you can, where you wouldn't otherwise experience that. I'm sure I read somewhere where there were companies that were working on having VR experiences that immerses you into the world of what it's like to be homeless, what it's like to be, and it kind of creates an empathy that otherwise you wouldn't be able to experience. So uh, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. No, that's that's brilliant. Uh, thank you very much. So I'm gonna close off with a question. This is the, you know, how long is a piece of string kind of question and hopefully interesting, uh, interesting answers. Um, what elements of AI are you most excited about for the next five to 10 years? Does it have to be to do with gaming, AI in general, or it can be to do with gaming? So uh, go over to you, Gregor. So, I, I mean, I basically with my machine learning background, I do. I'm very excited about, you know, the way with the, so the way we analyze more data and the way the world generates more data, you know, what, what we can actually achieve with that, you know, we can, there's things, you know, obviously there's huge challenges in the world, you know, games is, you know, they, they do solve a problem, you know, people want to be entertained, but you know, they don't solve necessarily things like maybe, maybe there's some application, but they don't necessarily solve climate change or anything like this. But, you know, the, so that is where I think, you know, in terms of the more data we get, uh, you know, about how the world cha is changing, where we can make things better, AI and particularly machine learning has a huge part to play in that because we we can you know churn for huge amounts of data, get insights, and understand hopefully what we need to do to you know make the the planet better again you know because uh, we see that's one of the biggest challenges right now is uh, you know we've experienced it just right now in the UK but you know a lot of people experience it all the time and that is it's not fun if it's always this hard. Yeah, so I think having having machine learning churn through data to help solve some of these big challenges, in like particularly climate change, is what I'm. I I do believe that has a big part to play in that, and that's where you know a lot of energy will go, and a lot of the things that we do 
in games, you know, we can simulate certain things and we can look at things like, you know, in a certain way and we can have, you know, this safe space where we can experiment with things. And hopefully some of those things will transfer into real world applications where you can solve some of these hard problems as well. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And over to you, Matthew. Yeah, well, ultimately, I, I really agree with Gregor on that. But um, I guess specifically in the games area, some of the things that I'm excited about. Um, so narrative generation in games, I think, is is um, going to be really powerful over the next sort of five years or so. So that means um, storylines for games and scripts for games, as in what the characters are saying, which are actually invented and adapt on the fly. It's just beginning to become practical. So, for instance, um, uh, there's a company called uh, Genvid, who we've been talking to very recently, and they are building a sort of new kind of media where you've got an ongoing broadcast like TV running 24-7 in a game engine, but where the audience can actually influence everything that's going on. And so you can't have a pre-designed uh, storyline uh, from designers. Um, all of this content has got to be able to evolve on the fly. And that's basically a big AI challenge. So I'm really interested to see you know, how Genvid um, prove out this concept and the AI tools that they use. Another aspect that I'm really excited about is, yeah, AI in games based on player data. So if you've got um, you know, hundreds of thousands of players for your game, can you analyze what they're doing and create AI characters, bots, um, based on that, which should give the most um, human-like experience. You know, you might feel that you're actually not playing against AIs at all, which tends to, you know, you tend to be able to tell that in games fairly, fairly rapidly right now. It could become that realistic that you can't really tell. There are definitely challenges around that, as we've touched on. You know, if some of those players are being unhelpful, if they're being abusive to other players, you know, obviously you don't want to emulate that. You know, you want to find that play style and filter it out. You you want to uh, you want to bring forward um, the kind of experiences that other players want to engage with. But I think that's going to be sort of really revolutionary because it will genuinely feel completely different to players as a, as an experience. And I think finally, um, how things are going to evolve with the metaverse. Um, so the games industry is kind of providing a lot of the technology for these new metaverse platforms. And and I, I, there I'm just focusing on the idea of sort of real-time 3D interactive experiences as a sort of new internet, a way that, that we can engage with, you know, our work, how we shop, how we socialize. And there are lots of opportunities for AI there, again, to populate that empty space to, to, to bring it to life and to enhance the social experience. Um, so I'm very excited to see sort of how AI plays a role in, in those new technologies as well. Fantastic. And I guess speech graphics as technology could play a massive role in the metaverse. I think um, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, every, so even the early, you know, metaverse, things like, like Fortnite, you know, that they use our technology, right? Um, you know, we used in by Linden Lab for Sansa, which was the successor to Second Life. You know, that was a 
sort of a, you know, VR, immersive VR experience. What it, what it really does is it provides that social presence. You know, I think that's one of the things that, you know, we, when we talk about training, it's also really important, but it's generally in the metaverse. It's like you actually have that feeling that you're in this space with other people and you feel that presence. And that's where our technology is really crucial because it gives you that sense that what you look, you know, what they're actually talking to you, right? Like you actually can see the words forming, you can feel there's a synchronization between the speech and what the face is doing and what other parts of the body do, is doing as well. And so that gives you that sense that, oh my God, there's like a living thing with me in this space. And that's that sense of social presence. And that's extremely powerful. And if you've ever experienced that, it's, uh, it's a very uh, powerful feeling actually, because, um, that really and that when you try vr in a way where you're in there with other people it makes it's, it it totally changes that experience i mean for me individual vr to me is not that compelling to be honest i find it i find it very difficult uh because it's a bit lonely you know when you're in there by yourself but if you're in there with other people and they talk to you and it actually may, feels like they're in there with you it's it's a great experience i mean to me that that is but the, but the hard part is getting people to put on that headset right <laughs> So yes, maybe we can absolutely. do it without that. We can do it without <laughs> that. That's the that's the key. Hmm? <laughs> that's brilliant. No, thank you so much, both of you. I think that's all we have time for. Uh, but that, what a fantastic conversation, and I'm all excited now. Uh, like the metaverse sounds great. Um, and uh, yeah, and uh, thanks so much for telling us about what you guys do and your thoughts on AI and gaming. So um, so uh, we'll end it there. Thanks very much for coming along, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Steph. Been a pleasure.